Let's get to it. This is Sebi Podcast. We welcome those of you again inside of our broadcast booth today. Myself and Michael Gray, the product of the Virginia Union here on the SEBI Podcast Radio Show right here on sunny and shiny Orlando on WNSC Radio. Mike, my man, another great weekend in the world of sports. What's going on? Nothing much, brother. You're right. Like you said, another great weekend. There's another time to grind and, you know, graduations on on the rise and some good times right now. Just enjoying life. Right, right. Congrats to all of the graduates of the class of 2019. That would be yourself as well out there in in Virginia as well. For all of the viewers and the listeners that do not know, uh, my man Michael Gray here is going to be an alum of Virginia Union very soon here. (laughs) So so, uh, uh, exciting stuff here. but uh, let, let's 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 go ahead and, and, and start off here today with um, the Tyree Kill situation. Um, obviously, the biggest news this past se- this past week, per se, Tyree Kill uh, had a three year old son. We all heard the tape. I'm not going to get into it. Um, a little bit disturbing to hear in the ears, of course. But um, Tyree Kill and his wife Crystal had a three year old son, and um, throughout his three years of existence there's been notions that Tyreek Hill has been you know physical with his son and 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 we don't really know what's going on behind closed doors Mike I mean I've I was young myself and I remember um, my parents were hard on me as well getting uh, trying to discipline me and with whether that be with with a belt or whatever type of you know choice of 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 you know tool that they used to whoop you yeah so <laughs> i trust me i i remember those tree, branch, tree branch or switch will you name it <laughs> yo a plug <laughs> whatever they anything, could anything a stick especially from the islands but nevertheless you know um when you when you hear about that tape when you're selling his son to op- physically open up his chest deliberately and punch him there and then you hear crystal replying back and saying that he's the three-year-old son and then of course you know, Tyreek replying to that, saying that, oh, that's my son and I could do whatever I want with him and you should be scared of me too. Expletive, B word. We can't say that here on air. <laughs> but uh, your thoughts on that, what, 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 what went through your mind at that point? Uh, just, just like yourself, it was disturbing. Like you said, uh, a three-year-old should never be put in a situation, um, especially dealing with, uh, like, they, they should never fear their father like that at three years old. At, at three years old, that's the time where you're supposed to you know, be loving and caring and give all the support and protect and be the protector um, that you need to be for your son, um, whatever the case may be. And also the the mother, the mother shouldn't have to be put in a position where she has to, um, she, she's, in, she's confident because she knows at the end of the day, she's not going to kill. 
she's not going to put herself in jeopardy, but she understands that's her son. At the end of the day, she's going to do what she has to do. And she she shouldn't have to be put in that position as well. Um, uh, seeing her son with a broken arm and uh, continuous constant, constant beatings to the chest and stuff like that. That's that's not a situation that neither one of them should be in. And Tyreek Hill shouldn't be putting himself in that situation as well because Tyreek Hill should understand that's your son. That's your flesh and blood. You know, there's certain ways to handle it. I'm all about disciplining your kids. I'm all about letting them know that, that you know, certain certain ways you go about life, you can't do that in real you can't do that in the real world and, and you need to be punished for it if, you know, certain things happen. But I'm but at a certain age at a certain age point where they can understand and the the the, the beating can can get around to them. But at three years old, a beating isn't gonna do anything for for a three year old kid. Uh breaking his arm isn't gonna isn't sending the right message to a three year old kid. It's, if anything, it's not gonna make him respect you, it's gonna make him resent you even more. You know what I mean? As, as his father, and, and early, he's only been on on this earth for three years, and to consistently get those beatings, when he gets older in life, he's gonna think that's normal. That could lead to possibility of him beating another one, beating a woman, a uh, possibility of beating something else. It's, it's trickle down effects that leads to stuff like this, and that could turn into uh, thoughts of being a sociopath as well. Exactly, you know what I'm saying you never know what it like. So he might want to take it out on somebody else, and later on in life, because of what he's had to go through. Early on in his life, you know, it goes back to that old saying, Sebi, hurt people hurt people. And, you know what I mean? We don't know what the situation is with Tyree Gale, how he was grown, how he grew up, um, what, what his, what his, uh, how his people's disciplined him growing up as a past. And maybe that's leading down to him, but this isn't it. This isn't it. This isn't the way. And it's, it's disturbing. It was, the, it was disturbing to hear the video clip, to hear what he was saying, to hear the vow, the tone that he was saying towards his, his, uh, his uh, baby mother and towards his son. It's, it, it was disgusting. It, I, I didn't like it at all. Definitely there. I, 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 when the news came out, I think it sent shockwaves to the national media in, in, you know, in the perspective of the states because when it came out, I was shocked too. I think I did a little quick reaction on, on Instagram there about my thoughts on it. But a, a key thing is Tyree Kill, 25-year-old, one of my favorite players to watch. I mean, this guy's electrifying. I love to watch him, um, especially, you know, on Sundays, as long as he's not going against my team, of course. Right, right. <laughs> you know, uh, I kind of call him the cheetah. Yeah. Uh, speed personified. This guy is like Devin Hester reincarnated. If you're a punter, you'd better kick that ball out of bounds. You do not want it to touch the hands of Tyree Kill because he has that game-changing breakaway speed. Well, a 25-year-old guy, getting all this money, all these ex extensions by the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm glad that they immediately suspended him. All of that could just turn into turmoil and fade away. Could we see Tyree Kill not be able to play an NFL snap again because of these allegations? It's a high possibility, and, and based off what we're hearing right now, we don't have any hardcore evidence of, of, of it. So I doubt right now, I don't think you could say his NFL career is over, but as the investigation goes on and if, if they continue to, if they continue to collect more evidence that's leaning towards what the, what, what, what uh, transpired in this video, then I definitely think it's a possibility his NFL career be over. And it would be, and it's, and it's absolutely sad. It's sad. Like, it's sad. You, you work, you work, you work this hard to get where you want to get to in life and, and for it to be all thrown away just like that to discipline your own son. Like I like, like I said, me, me and you know we, we we both came up in the old law. We we understand disciplining your children. Like it's a certain right. way to go about it though at a certain age. And so a certain age where they can understand where you're coming from. At three years old, he doesn't understand where you're coming from. All he knows is 
oh, I, I continuously getting beat. Like it's it's, it's right. sad, but you're right about his NFL career. Um, right now, I don't I don't think his NFL career is over. I think right now he's just suspended for 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 some for some time. But as far as and they're gonna keep doing evidence, Sebi. They're gonna they're gonna keep adding, this is this is a developing story. Yeah, they're gonna keep going until they find something. Developing story, no doubt. So later on down the line, if we get some more evidence, I wouldn't be surprised. And it's a shame for this Kansas City team because you had Kareem Hunt last year that potentially cost them a Super Bowl title. And if Tyreek is not available this season with the pieces the pieces that they've added on the defensive side, and Mike, I don't know if you noticed this, and I don't know if you noticed this. I I was looking at the draft as well. We're gonna get to the draft later on in our segments here today. Um, the Kansas City Chiefs, I, I think they know that there's a possibility that, uh, you know, that Tyreek Hill may be on the edge here. You saw that they went moved up high in the draft and picked up a wide receiver. Obviously, they had to, you know, fill a role and draft a running back because of uh, uh, Kareem Hunt. When you think about Patrick Mahomes, Kareem Hunt, and Tyreek Hill, that may have been one of the m- most dangerous trio in the game. Now, without Hunt and Tyreek Hill, the Chiefs are maybe looking elsewhere. So that kind of gave me the hint that they know that Tyreek may be on the edge here and it may not even be possible for the upcoming season. You're you're absolutely right. And you got to know that this is a Kansas City Chiefs organization that has dealt with situations not similar to this, but but they don't don't tolerate the domestic... uh, Dispute of any of any sort, because you, right. you remember that situation of like about eight eight nine years back with Javon Belcher with him shooting himself after 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 kill, after killing his um his uh, at then at then time girlfriend. Right. You had the situation with Kareem Hunt, and then you got Tyree. Like they, this is a no nonsense organization when it comes to domestic disputes. So they they understand the the, the urgency. They understand when it, any, if it looks like it, the, they're going to take the proper precautions to move forward if need be and have a plan B. Definitely, rightfully there. So uh, a lot of news coming out of the Kansas City Stars out there in Missouri for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, a lot of headaches. We we thought that, you know, Patrick Mahomes coming into the season would continue to thrive from his second years and ascend to the third year where and continue that combo, that deep vertical threat ability of Tyreek Hill. Now the Chiefs, all of a sudden, with Andy Reid, may be losing some of their biggest assets coming into the 2019 and the 2020 season. When we come back, Mike, we're going to get into some NBA talks. The semis on the East and the West has been great. We're going to dive in, but I'm going to give you a team that you should be scared about. You're listening to the Semi Podcast radio show, streaming only here on WNSC Radio. Welcome back here to WNSC Radio, the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Mike, the East and the West Semis have begun. The Warriors, what, 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 <laughs> we'll start off with the Warriors and the Rockets here. Okay. Obviously, this is the most highly anticipated matchup. The Warriors and the Rockets were on a collision course in round one. This, this is what the people want. This, this is what really what the people want. This is what the people want. Game two is tonight. We still we'll start off there, and then you know you've got uh, the Celtics and the Bucks. Um, the Celtics really put on a statement in su- Sunday afternoon when Kyrie Irving and Al Horford really dominated the Bucks. Game two, I'm I'm 
urgent to see some adjustments made by Mike Budenholzer. The Celtics right now are 5-0. and And Kyrie Irving, yes, that's right. Kyrie Irving has the highest playoff winning percentage of any player in NBA history, 0.7%. And then when you look at the, the Sixers getting a huge win last night, really growing up, this is a Sixers team that really struggled last year. They're still young. They're still ascending. But Jimmy Butler taking their uh, taking them under their wings in Toronto, inside of the hostile confines of the Scotia Bank environment and getting a big win, going against Kawhi and Siakam. And I thought defensively they really played well. And then the Blazers, well-rested but a little bit rusty last night because Jokic really threw all jokes aside and really got cooking along with Murray, Harris, and all of those guards there. So uh, your thoughts on, on the Western semis, and we're going to go ahead and start off with the Warriors and the Rockets. Got you. The Warriors and the Rockets, well, to be honest with you, I thought that was a phenomenal game one. That was a great That was a great tone setter to this series. They, both teams really were competitive, and, and they really got after each other. It was a very physical game, very good basketball game. It's sad that the narrative of this game had to be changed because of a few missed calls and, and things of that nature. Yes, James Harden may have had some calls that could have been fouled. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, on those three point attempts. That that yes, he, it could have been called for fouls. But that's the nature of basketball. You don't get every call. I'm sure there's some calls that the Warriors had that the Warriors felt like they should have got fouled as well. You can't blame the game on the referees. When you go nine for twenty eight from the field and you turn the ball over consistently, and you you may you miss free throws down the stretch, and you have late turnovers in crunch time when it may, when it matters most. I don't care. I don't want to hear anything about about any NBA referees. James Harden is one of the, is one of the uh, most like lethal offensive players we have in the game. That game one on Sunday against the Warriors, it was one of the most, it was one of the worst thirty five point performances I've ever seen. Because when you watch the game from start to finish, you would have never thought that he had thirty five points. He, it, it was a bad game for James Harden. That's why I tell you stats don't stats don't tell the whole story when it's it comes to James Harden. You have to you have to watch the games because if you just went off stats in that game, you would say, "Oh, he had thirty five points. He had great." No, he he shot less than thirty three percent from the field. You know, he he it was a bad game for James Harden. Chris, uh, uh, uh PJ Tucker, zero for four from the from the three point line. Um, uh, Capella it was it was a no show. Like it was with the Warriors. The Warriors have a, a DNA and agenda on James Harden. And they have a, 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 a way to a way to neutralize him that other teams are still searching to find. And the Warriors, they just they just match up with him, athletic athlete for athlete, star for star. They they know how to match up with him, and that's just something that other teams don't have. There's nothing. There's not really a formula for that. You just have to have the tools and the and the requisite weapons that in, in their arsenal, and that's what they have. But Kevin Durant, I mean, come on, that's baby. The, the, what the brother's doing right now is just special. It's he ridiculous. Carried, he carried the Warriors yesterday. He's been carrying the Warriors for the past few games. Steph Curry was not been 100%. Klay Thompson came in this game, not 100%. And they continued to just to just claw and to continue to ride him, to ride him, his his hot streak and what he's going right now. And another 35-point performance. And he's he, he's been absolutely sensational these entire playoffs. And he's proven right now, right, right now he's the best player on the, on, on the planet. And, and I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, you know. It's <laughs> we. It's funny. We take Kevin Durant for granted. You know, oh. he's in a great team with the Warriors. KD, Steph, Clay, Draymond, and, and Boogie. Obviously, Boogie's out for the remainder of the postseason. But Kevin Durant, I mean, this brother's special. I believe he's the best 
offensive player in the world. And and now he's make he's in making that surge, leaping over LeBron James as the best player in the world. I mean, <laughs> Mike, since he said and came out publicly in the media and said, Y'all know who I am. He's averaging 40 plus. Yeah. This brother's been averaging 40 plus. I mean, it is it is ridiculous. And I and you know. Richard Jefferson, uh, part of that 2016 Cavs member team that won the title coming back 3-1 from the Warriors um, that didn't have to play Steph Curry. He said he's probably the best he's seen in history, uh, the best score in history. I mean, this guy's unbelievable. But I want to talk about the Rockets here. This is tough. This this is tough. Dan Marley and CP, who really didn't have an imprint in that game one. Uh, Eric Gordon showed up. Yeah. You know, James Harden is well going to get his 35. But like you said, he shot poorly. He really got to the line. But my thing is this, James Harden. You know, and 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 I respect James Harden, but this is where I go back to this, Mike. I was never a James Harden fan. Gotcha. Uh, you know, what he's doing is just not basketball. You know, flopping or – or he, he, don't get me wrong. He is great at creating contact and – you know, initiating contact, but what it is, it's not basketball. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, it's manipulating the refs. And I commend the refs because what he was doing is the rule of verticality is when you shoot a jump shot, you have to go upwards and you have to come back down, landing vertically. You saw how Auburn, that cost Auburn a championship birth when Kyle died, didn't have that opportunity. That is a foul. What, what what Harding is doing is he's jumping and he's jumping forward, yeah. initiating contact right. so Clay Thompson can land on him, so that Draymond Green can land on him. Now, were a, a lot of those were fouls? Absolutely. I'll tell you that. A lot of them were fouls, especially in that first half. Clay Thompson should have at least had four or five fouls guarding James Harden on those three-point lines, and they should have been three-point you know, attempts at the free-throw line. Yeah. But that last one to to – tie the game in to send it to overtime. That's not a foul, man. And he's using that to his advantage and manipulating the refs. And I think the refs are saying, no, no. You you have to jump vertically and you have to come back down vertically. Now, in the process when you do that, if you happen to get hit or if there happens to be any nudge, grudge, or any contact, we will blow the whistle. And this is and, – and Kobe said this throughout the season – you know, on his detail show, he says in, in dissecting Harden's game, isolation ball will not win in the postseason, especially against this Warriors team. People tend to forget the Golden State Warriors as lethal, as potent, the marksmans. You're talking about Curry, uh, Thompson, and Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Durant. You know, um, as great as they are offensively, they, they can play defense. And there are stretches when they're really dialed in on defense. Yep. And they say, you know what, we're going to lock in. We really can't. So isolation ball won't beat a great team like that. You know, getting a switch, getting a big on on Chris Paul, getting a switch, getting a big on James Harden. Yes, they're going to cook, but, you know, that's not going to beat the Golden State Warriors. So I, I'm i looking and I'm looking at Dan Tony in this for game two for adjustments on this. What's the adjustment in game two? Because Curry had an off game, Clay had an off game, but KD really got cooking. So... I'm really going to be anxious to see um, adjustments here in game two tonight. But I, I want to transition here to the Nuggets and the Blazers last night. Um, you know, your thoughts and, and what did you see 
on that matchup in a potential seven-game series. Subby, I am not going to lie to you. I am absolutely excited to see the rest of this series. This series right here is everything I thought it was going to be for for two reasons. One, because both of these teams are new to this. These these, these Portland, Damian Lillard is new is is they're not they're not new to the second round, but with a legitimate chance to get to the Western Conference Finals and not having to face the Warriors in the second round, this 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 is new this is new territory for them. Denver Nuggets, this new this Denver team is is this is new territory. Them getting to the second round and potentially getting to the Western Conference Finals. Legitimate shot. These are two young teams that are going to be around for a while, for a long time. Two top point guards and Damian Lillard and Jamal Murray going against each other. Nikola Joker is balling. This was a great basketball game. I'll tell you right now, Sebi, it's going to be a lot of points scored in this series. Mm, it, yes. It's almost getting to the point where the first team, the first team to one fifteen, is going to win because that's the that's the that's the type of scoring we're going to see in this. Day. Nikola Jokic was special. Nikola Jokic is going to be the difference special. In, this, in this series to me because. In in the first in the first matchup, the Portland Trailblazers against Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, Enos Kander had a size disadvantage against Stephen Adams, but he was much more skilled. He was a much more skilled big man than Stephen Adams, so he was able to you know move Stephen Adams out of the paint and uh, manipulate and get offensive rebounds and things of that sort. And he outplayed Stephen Adams. He got thoroughly, thoroughly outplayed yesterday by Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic is not only just is this that big bigger presence inside the paint. He's actually more skilled, and he actually can do some things as far as facilitating and scoring from that mid range to the outside game. He he has almost no weaknesses to his game, and and then in this cancer be and the the with without Nur, Yusuf Nurkic, Yusuf Nurkic the, without him is going to be a key in this series because that that matchup is going to be brutal because if, if Nikola. Enos Kanter has no 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 answer for Nikola Jokic, and Jokic just set up everything else offensively for them. Gary Harris was knocking down threes. Jamal Murray was knocking down some key shots. Um, they had this kid named Malik Beasley. Malik oh, Beasley yes. was 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 on fire Craig. off the bench. I love I love his tenacity. I love the way he plays defense on the defensive side and the way he plays offense. And Torrey Craig, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Torrey Craig. This guy's a baller. He he comes in. He plays great defense. He knocks down shots. This Denver team is, is, is has a lot of three and D guys that, that are surrounded around Nurkic, and they 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 play a lot of their success off of that. I love the way they play. Portland played a great game. Portland was right there, Nick and Tuck, Nick and Tuck with him um, for for the most part, especially in the, until the third quarter when they kind of broke away a little bit. Portland trimmed the lead down in the fourth quarter, but then uh, Denver broke Denver broke away and, and started knocking down shots and closed the game out late in the uh, late in the fourth quarter to seal the win. But I'm excited to see this series, and I see it definitely. Potentially being a seven-game series, and uh, it's going to be a lot of points scored in this series. Because Damian Lillard had 39 or so, and Enos Kanter had a solid game offensively scoring, but his his game offensively did not um, come close or, or affect the game nearly the way that Nikola Jokic did. It was a it was a nice basketball game yesterday, and Denver really showed me that um, they really shut down the Portland hype for one game because you know everybody was talking about Portland because of how they won the last series, but. This Denver team is no team to look over because of how they play, especially how they play at home. I like this Denver team uh, in this matchup as well. Right, right. And Denver, the best home record in the regular season NBA. And that Pepsi Center, you want to talk about hostile environments and, uh, you know, electric crowds. When the Pepsi Center get hyped and, and, and the crowd really get into it, they're like your typical Seattle Seahawks 12th man. I mean, yep. that can be a sixth man right there on the floor. I want to talk about this Denver team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, Jokic, uh, he's he's on un- he's unbelievable. Last night, um, he was close to another triple double. He has four right now. That's tied with LeBron James since two thousand six. You know, four triple doubles as as in terms of debut playoff careers. You know, the- LeBron came in in his first playoff game was in two thousand six. He had four. Well, Jokic has a chance chance to surpass that because in the second round right now he already has four. So this guy is special. I mean. And obviously his biggest asset is passing the rock, but he's a big body. This brother had 37 and nine last year. Yes, I mean, and, and he kind of like what you mentioned, he really gave it to Canner. Canner, who's a big wide body guy, who's also skilled as well. Um, and has gotten better throughout the years defensively, really had it handed to him last night with Jokic. But this is what I see in this dead routine, Mike. Mike Malone has done a phenomenal job mm-hmm. getting great athletes, yeah. whether that be offensively or whether that be defensively, to surround Jokic with. Jokic, as great as he is an offensive player, we know he's not as great as a defender, although he's making a lot of strides. But this is what I see against around him. I see a legit six 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 seven, Gary Harris. Mm-hmm. Jamal Murray's a legit six four. Torrey Craig is a legit six seven. Craig, uh, uh, um, Michael Beasley, like you mentioned, a legit six eight six nine, and and like you mentioned, all three and D guys, they can come in, they can defend, they can switch um, on switches and with their versatility, and they can knock down shots on the three point line. And when you surround that with Jokic, not only you can use him as an asset, but you can hide him on defensive schemes, and that's what I saw last night. Although uh, you know Lillard got cooking last night, especially in that third and fourth quarter, he had thirty nine points, but that was a hard-earned 39 points, yeah. you know. And 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 I think in this series, guys like Harkless, Aminu, Curry, and, and McCullum, of course, who had a bad game, but I expect them to show up in these next coming games, are they're going to have to be even better than the Thunder series because yeah. the, the, the storyline of that Thunder series is that, you know, the Thunder weren't a great three-point shooting team. This Denver team? Oh, no. Oh, yeah, they're oh, in the, they rank in the top five oh, man. In, in three-point makes. So... It's going to be interesting for me that Terry Scott's a very underrated coach. How does he, you know, adjust and neutralize the three-point land by all of these three and D guys above the arc? You know, they're all like a utility guy, athletes. They can defend. They can knock down the three. And and, and Jokic is kind of like the catalyst, the man that the engine that makes it run. Well, Well, when Jokic has 37 but only nine boards and less assists, you know, they're winning. So how do you guard him? Do you let him get 15 to 18 to 12 assists? Or do you let him get your 30 to 40? That's a, an adjustment I'm going to have to key on for Terry Scott's moving on forward in this series. No doubt. No doubt. And it's, and you say, it's really hard to guard him because, to be honest with you, it's gotten to the point in time now where only, the only person that can, can guard Nikola Jokic is Nikola Jokic. Because <laughs> Nikola Jokic, when he's aggressive on this team, when he's aggressive, they are a whole entirely different basketball team. They look like that number two seed that they've been all season. They're really like, playing like it. Yep. Yeah. When they when he's not aggressive, it, it, they're they're almost like an average team in the West. So the the more he's aggressive, the more they'll they'll be successful. No doubt. Let, let's switch gears here into the Eastern Conference, going coast to coast. Here we'll start off with the Bucks in the Celtics. Yeah. You know, the, it, this this only makes me happy. <laughs> you know, I bleed green. The viewers and the listeners all know this. You know. Uh, the Celtics, I mentioned before, Kyrie Irving, the catalyst. But I, I think, and we're starting to see, um, Kyrie Irving may be the best player on the team, but Al Horford, as steady as he is as a 
veteran, maybe the most important player on this team. This guy had 20 points, 11 boards, and you ready for this, Mike? Six blocks. Yeah. Yes, that's six blocks. A, a interior presence inside against Giannis Lopez or whoever that might be. The Celtics really put on a statement, and I want to get your thoughts on Paul Pierce when he said this series is over. Well, what, do you, what do you think about those remarks? I understand where he's coming from because if you think about what he said, he's saying, Paul Pierce was saying that I don't see what adjustments Milwaukee can make because athletic, athlete for athlete, player for player, they don't match up with Boston. Boston made the adjustments when Boston made Brad Stevens. This is why Brad Stevens is one of the top coaches in the game. He inserted Marcus Morris into the starting lineup. Right. He, by inserting Marcus Morris into the starting lineup, you then go small. He realized that in the regular season, when they went small, they had the most success against Milwaukee. So adding Marcus Smart into that starting lineup, I mean, Marcus Smart, excuse me, Marcus Morris into that starting lineup added to the pressure that they put on Milwaukee. As you saw in that game one, Seve, they could do whatever they did, whatever they wanted to, and whenever, whenever right. they wanted to, offensively right. and right. defensively. It started on the defensive side. I told you this team is special. When they lock in defensively, I don't care who it, they can beat anybody on right. any given day. And they had a great plan against 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 Giannis Antetokounmpo. The plan against him was, okay, we know you're not the best three point shooter ever. You can knock down a couple, but those couple aren't going to affect the game the way these two pointers are. So what we're going to yeah. do is we have the bodies and we have the physicality. To, uh, to mess with you down low with Al Horford, Aaron Baines. And every time you try to drive to the paint, you don't have the most outrageous moves. So all we have to do is, is corral you with, the, with some help and, and, and force, you to, force you to make a play and force the, force the others to, to beat us. And those threes are going to help you. Without those three threes that he hit, he would have had 13 points yesterday. He went four for 16 inside the paint with two, with, with, as far as two-pointers. Al Horford and Aaron Baines did a ter- terrific job not only individually, but the Celtics in general team defense on Giannis was was amazing. I want to see where the adjustments will be made. I do expect Milwaukee to win game two. I do expect them to come back and win this game. I wouldn't be surprised if Boston wins this game because Boston has that killer, has players on that team with They're that mentality. Yep. You know, that, that knows how to close the deal, especially on the road. So I wouldn't be surprised if Boston wins this game, but this is an absolute must win for Milwaukee. This is the game seven for Milwaukee. They have to win this game. So I feel like they'll be more desperate coming out in this game moving forward. But to be honest with you, the Boston Celtics, ever since the playoffs have started, the the vibe and the energy that's in that locker room right now. Is, that switch is, that you said, that this notion of a switch, yeah. boy, it's it's lighting bright. It's lighting bright right now, Sebi. And what was I telling you <laughs> earlier in the season when they was going through their struggles? Everything will make sense in the playoffs. And right now, everything is starting to make sense. I still got the Celtics in six. I think Milwaukee will win this game because of how desperate they are. They cannot go down 0-2 going to Boston. I don't care no, if no. Brogdon is. They're in 0-2 hole. Oh, they're done. Yeah, yep. they're done. They're done. I, I don't care if it's in four or five. They're done. And I don't care how good Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon is. And they're talking about bringing him back. At the end of the day, he's going to be rusty. And he alone is not going to is not gonna help. Giannis Antetokounmpo has to go off for them to win. If, right. if Giannis does not go off, because they don't have another superstar. You know what I mean? It's not, they don't have other. They have other nice players. Chris Middleton had a, a, a okay game to his standard, only scoring 16 points. But uh, uh, Paul Con- Connaughton wasn't wasn't knocking down shots. Uh, Brooke Lopez wasn't knocking down shots. I mean, they were missing a lot of shots that they that they would usually make. So we'll we'll see how they look in game two. But right now, Boston could do whatever they wanted to do, and they look like the better team, which is which I thought they would. And and right now, I still got them in six games. But I, I do feel like Milwaukee will win this game tonight.
Right, right, right. Definitely. So if they lose tonight, they're in a 0-2 hole. Oh, they're, they're, this is what I saw. This is what I saw, Mike. And, and you know, Sunday afternoon, I was dialed in. I couldn't miss this. Yeah, no you know doubt. what I'm saying? I had front row seats to yes, this. Yes, indeed. Um, you know, the Bucks, uh, elite, top four in both categories. Top four in offense, top four in defense. Um, 60 wins, best record in the NBA. Giannis, uh, the overwhelming and potential, you know, MVP right. this year. This is what I saw. The Bucks don't know what hit them. I mean, I've always yeah. said this, Mike. I've always said this, Mike. You know, the Celtics didn't play until last Sunday. They had seven days of rest, right? Right. But the Bucks also had an easy series, and, you know, they did what they had to do against um, a one-legged uh, Blake Griffin team that just, you know, gave all he could. But just talent to talent, I mean, there, it was a no match, no. you know. And so they had six games. But the difference is, is Milwaukee's are still a relatively young team. And so I've always had the notion, well, for a veteran team like Boston, Kyrie Irving, he's, you know, we consider him young, but he's in his eighth and ninth season. I mean, come on, we can say he's a veteran. Right. Morris, who's a, a 10-year player. Al Horford is in his 30s. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, yeah, they're still young, but they have postseason success. They've right. been to back-to-back and, and conference finals appearances. You've got guys like Baines, who's been in the league for quite a while. I've always said that for veteran teams, the layoff has always been great, but I fear that for young teams. And you saw that rust for the Bucks getting complacent, getting stationary. Oh, we're in the confines of the Fizzer Forum here in Milwaukee. We've been dominant all year. We don't expect Boston to come here and to compete. Well, they don't know what hit them. This is what I saw, Mike. Malcolm Brogdon, and I think I mentioned this, a 50-40-90 guy, you know, I think he's their second best player right. when 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 playing. He's going to be missing this series because he's the primary defender against Kyrie Irving. Right. When we saw George Hill guarding Kyrie Irving, Irving, and, and he, he talked to Brad Stevens, he'll tell you in practices coming into the season, that's what Kyrie Irving's worked on in his game. And it's crazy. Kyrie Irving is still working on his game. The brother's got the handle. Oh. He's got the, the wicked, the magician with uh, um with the handles. He's got his doctorate finishing with either hand off the glass. He can shoot the mid-range. He can shoot the three. He said he's coming this year and he wants to work in his post game. And you saw that he got cooking early, got those first eight points in those three back-to-back-to-back baskets in right. the post against George Hill, and then all hell broke loose. But what what the Celtics did was that, okay, Giannis, you know, we're gonna put, we're gonna go small. We're gonna put Horford on you mm-hmm. because we understand that, you know, you've had the most points in the paint since Shaq's. You've had the most dunks in the regular season since Shaquille O'Neal. So what we're going to do, we're going to pack line the paint because we don't believe you're, you can shoot some mid-range and some threes, but we don't believe it's impactful enough exactly. that we have to step out, out there right. and guard it, and then you can drive into the paint. We don't believe that. Even though he hit, he went three for four from the three-point line. Credit to him. But – Boston is kind of daring him to take that shot. And if he makes it, he makes it. You got to live with something. You know, right. Giannis is nearly, you know, one of those guys that when he, he's two feet and he's in the, up to the basket. So you got to live with something. This is what I saw. Brad Stevens, you know, ahead of the curve over Mike Boonholzer. So adjustments is going to have to come in game two. And I talked about the X factor in Brooke Lopez, right? Yep. Three, three points, three rebounds. That's not going to cut it, right? This is a guy that made over 100 threes this year, 100 makes as a center. That's crazy. 100 makes as a center. That's not going to cut it. Eric Bledsoe, six points. That's not going to cut it. Against this Boston team and you got to guard Kyrie Irving, six points isn't going to cut it. 
Middleton got cooking early. And I'm not sure why Budenholzer didn't do more Giannis and Middleton on top of the key pick and roll because they really had success with that early. I'm not sure why they got away from that. So adjustments are going to come in game two. But, uh, you know, Boston is just too talented for this team. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm like, I, I have this Celtics team in six. And it may be earlier uh, <laughs> as yeah, possible because they, on, they're just yeah. playing really good. Exactly. Depending on this game, you're right. It may be earlier. But I've always thought that they were the more talented team. Yes, Milwaukee does. They secured the number one seed and the best record in the overall NBA this year. But we've seen in years past that that means absolutely nothing. Right. It, it, it doesn't. And then when you have a guy And Boston's like, not your typical four seed. Right. They, they, this is probably the best four seed in, 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 in history. So when you, look at, <laughs> when you look at it, like Boston underachieved and they, to some degree Milwaukee overachieved in the regular season. And now it's all about who's clicking at the right time. Boston got clicking at the end of the year and they're the only undefeated team in the playoffs. Still standing, so we'll we'll see tonight. That uh, it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a bomb bomber tonight. It's gonna be a dog fight, and um, I expect Milwaukee to come out with the victory. But I would not be surprised at all if Boston came out and won. The young Sixers uh, showed great in game two. Um, they really showed up. Uh, Jimmy Butler, a veteran, um, you know, didn't want this team to go down to an 0-2 hole heading back to the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. Really showed up in that game two. Thirty points, eleven boards. And Ben Simmons did an okay job against Kawhi Leonard. You know, he still had 35. <laughs> right. You, you're talking about guys that are, are trying to make a way for the best players in the world. We see what KD's doing out West. Kawhi's been as great, if not better, out East. So, um, you know, Ben Simmons um, kind of neutralizing uh, Kawhi Leonard. Um, the, the, the Raptors really struggled in this game. Siakam didn't have the game and the impact that he had in game one. They only scored 89 points. I thought the Sixers' defense was the X factor in this game, too. Um, obviously, Ben Simmons didn't have a great game. Butler did. Reddick kind of struggled from the field as well as Tobias. And also, we knew that Embiid was dealing with the flu. But they really were carried by Jimmy Buckets, as they used to like call him in, in Philadelphia. And so now they get the split, and they're going back to Philadelphia 1-1. What do you see moving on forward in this series? I see this. I see. I think Philly just turned this into a possible potential seven game series with that win. And that was you like like you said. I'm glad you started off this, started off this segment saying that that was a gritty win. That was a very gritty win um, by the 76ers. A win that I didn't see. That I didn't think that they had in them to, to go on the road. And right. Win this game the way that they did. It was with their defense. They won this game with their defense. Every they held Toronto to 17 points in the first quarter. The defense was was tremendous throughout the entire game. Yes, there was stretches. Yes, they grew a 17-point lead, and then they blew that lead, and, and Toronto came all the way back to make it interesting. But at the same time, they held them off, and they were able to find – they found a way to win this game despite Joel Embiid's uh, a terrible shooting game. You know, J- uh, Jimmy Buckets was absolutely sensational. I've always said that this team goes as Joel Embiid goes as far as that he's their most dominant player. But when Jimmy Butler is playing as aggressive as he was yesterday and he's able to close for them, that takes them to another level. Because Jimmy Butler is, in my head, their closer on this team because he has some of the most experience on the team. He's had um, a, a very a lot of clutch experience in the playoffs on this team. So I, I love what I saw from Jimmy Butler and this team, and, and what they what I saw on the defensive side when they hone in defensively because they have the athletes for it. They have the athletes when they want to, and when it's time to dance, they can play defense. 
So I was I was impressed to see how they to see their performance today. And um, like like you said, Kawhi Leonard was Kawhi Leonard had another sensational game. He started off slow. Yeah, it was it was more so in the second half because he started off pretty slow. Siakam had 21 points. He wasn't as efficient shooting. He was nine for 25. But you're right. This Philly team was scrappy, and they were they were all up in them, and they contested shots, and they just made it. They made life uncomfortable for the Raptors, as opposed to in Game One when the Raptors just seemed like they can get, just get whatever they wanted to. So I'm excited to see what this series is going to look like when it goes back to Philadelphia. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's another split. But I, I I think Philly just turned this into a potential seven game series. They did. They did. And I and the Sixers did something that I thought that really they couldn't do with Brett Brown. Obviously, last year Brett Brown got thoroughly outcoached by Brad Stevens, and then. A, a little bit by Kenny Atkinson in game one. I didn't think that, you know, Brett Brown had, coming from that Popovich tree, you know, that he's he's got credentials. You know, he's he's a he's a known commodity, but I didn't know he had it in himself to make adjustments. They made a lot of adjustments in game two. And so now they're just throw home court. Now, if they can, you know, secure home court, in, in in the Wells Fargo Center, which I don't believe, I think that the Raptors can take one of the one of yeah, the two I do there. Um, you know that can be huge. So <clears throat> momentum now is with the Sixers. But I'm gonna go and, and agree with you here. Embiid, Embiid himself cannot beat this Raptors team. One, the Sixers they have lack of depth, and that's been the the story all year. They've got this great starting five, but their bench lacks depth. And you're going against Toronto. <laughs> with Larry, with the with um, excuse me, not the Rosen, with Leonard, and then they got the with Siakam, and then they got the deep bench where Ibaka's coming off the bench, Van Vliet's coming off the bench, uh, uh, guys like that, Powell's coming off the bench. They've got depth, and so Embiid cannot beat this team himself. And so, if if you're t- telling me Jimmy Butler is going to be that second that second man to complement what does and then potentially you may get a game from Tobias because Tobias hasn't had his game yet in this series and so so all of a sudden you know Sixers have a chance but to beat this team you have got to get some bench production and I've always been in the record and say hey Brett Brown you know sometimes you know what I'm saying let either put Ben Simmons in that second rotation with the bench players or have get him off the game early with some minutes and let Jimmy Butler run the point and have him play with the second uh, unit, you know? So uh, they're going to have to get some bench production against a very, very deep team with the the Raptors. I still think Kawhi Leonard is, you know, the best player on the floor in this series. I mean, two, the, when you talk about the best two players in the game, maybe in history, Pippen, Jordan, you, you don't get too far without naming Kawhi Leonard's name. And so, this is going to be interesting going into game three in the Wells Fargo Center. But a lot of action, a lot of parody, a lot of mayhem surrounding the NBA playoffs. And there's only one place you could listen to it, right here on the Sevy Podcast radio show with myself and Michael Gray here on WNSC. Folks, when we come back, we're going to get to some draft grades. Myself and Michael Gray touch on a couple teams. And I'll tell you a couple that may have just changed their season with some of these acquisitions. You're listening to the Semi Podcast radio show, streaming only here on WNSC Radio. Hi, I'm Fanny. I'm Cecilia. I'm Joanna. 
And I'm Alwyn Jr. and we are Precise Tax and Accounting Services in Central Florida. And we would love to give a special thanks to SEBI Podcast Crew for keeping us up to date with everything sports during this busy tax season. Do you find yourself overwhelmed by the changes in our new tax law? Or would you just love to have the peace of mind that comes with dealing with a well-informed professional? If so, reach out to us for any of your tax, accounting, or small business needs and be sure to let us know that SEBI Podcast sent you. Thank you. Michael Gray Sebi here on the Hotline Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Our last segment today, guys, is proud and sponsored by Revamp Barbershop. Revamp Barbershop, Ricky Chandler and the entire gang here at the Central Florida area has said, any of your hair products, whether that be for face, for beards, if you want to get right, you might want to hit these guys up here in the community. Revamp Barbershop and, oh, tell them Sebi sent you. Here from the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, Mike, the Browns, the Patriots, the Seahawks, and I believe the 49ers have changed and and, and upgraded drastically. You know, I, I the Browns getting Greedy Williams to perhaps pair him up with Denzel Ward in the back end to go against with our with which is already a really good front seven. I think that they mightily upgraded them i i got them as an a on the draft class the patriots wow are you, are you kidding me these guys bill belichick just knows how to how to just draft that it's, it's 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 become a joke now yeah you're getting damian harris in the third round you got Nikhil harry an underrated wideout from arizona state and obviously you know bill belichick with the relationship with Herm Edwards, who was a coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, now coaching the Arizona State um, Wildcats, really had some input in this. I mean, Sun Devils, excuse me, not Wildcats. Um, <laughs> Nikhil Harry, forgetting him at 32, that was a steal. And then, of course, getting Jared Stidham, a transfer from Baylor to Auburn, who played in the SEC, who actually played against great competition in the fifth round. It's a joke. The Patriots just know how to draft. And then the Seahawks. DJ uh, DK Metcalf had to wait so long until number 60 to get drafted. But of course, John Schneider and Pete Carroll would be the ones. Great GM, great ownership. What is that equal to? An excellent ball club and an excellent team. DK Metcalf at 60. And oh, they finally got weapons for the highest player, paid player in the NFL in Russell Wilson and offensive line help. So I thought. The Seahawks drafted well as well. And then the 49ers got Joey Bosa's brother, Nick Bosa. You know what? what's crazy, Mike? Some people say he has better hands than his brother. You know how scary that can be? We yeah. all know that Joey Bosa is elite as a pass rusher in L.A. We're hearing that his brother Nick may have better hands. Good luck, anybody in the NFC West division. And then you go ahead and get weapons for Jimmy Garoppolo. You get him solidified that offensive line spot. I thought those four teams in particular really got good. Any other teams, your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I love I love that you talked about the Seahawks and the 49ers. When you talk about the Seahawks, Russell Wilson has had a lot of success with big with big physical receivers. And a, a six a, a six foot two, six foot three receiver like DK Metcalf who can run run past defenders. And this uh, may I, be the last days for Doug Baldwin. I, I thought that that was a, a key in, in drafting him in the second round as well. No doubt, no doubt. I, I love that pickup. I love that pickup from him. But uh, and also the 49ers, you know, adding to that defensive line with 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 Bosa. Oh, I, I'm here to tell you, uh, Sebi, this this defensive line could be the best in the best in the NFL the next year. Right. With, with the with the amount with already got DeForest Buckner and guys like that on on that defensive line. Solomon got, Thomas. Yep. Oh man, they got they got scrappy veterans, scrappy players on that team, man, and, and they're all young and they're coming together. I love what they did. But another team I want to give that I think they did very well is the Washington Redskins. They did. The Redskins yeah. did very well uh, in this draft. They drafted guys like Bryce Love. I, I, we don't know how, how good he's going to be because of their, their already running back appearances. And they have but in today's years. game, Mike, with, with all of the, the pass-catching running backs, getting screens, and right. you can line them out wide, I think he's going to be very effective in the NFL game this No, do- this no doubt. Age. Yeah. No doubt. And they also have, you know, Darius guys coming back off injury this year. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely see how that, how that looks. But getting Dwayne Haskins. Getting Dwayne Haskins was key because I knew once we passed up on him that <laughs> the Washington Red, the Washington Redskins were going to get him because they were in dire needs of a quarterback. I don't even think the Washington Redskins anticipated that Dwayne Haskins would still be there at the number 15th pick. But he was, and they, and they ended up getting him. And to be honest with you, they may have gotten the first or second best quarterback in that draft. Uh, right. they, got, they got certain players on this team, Sebi, that could, could possibly change the franchise. You got guys like linebackers like Montez Sweat. You know, oh, you got, you got a steal! I'm not sure how he fell that far. I'm not. I'm not sure how he fell that far. Me you know, I, I, how? I, I have no clue. I mean, you got to think about how the, the it was. I mean, you got to look at it. It was a lot of competition as far on the defensive side of the ball in this draft, especially in the first round. You know, it was a lot of top defensive players that went that went early, so it, he had a lot of competition to go up against. So I'm sure, I'm sure it wasn't as hard as we might think for a team to overlook him. But nevertheless, the Washington Redskins didn't. So. At the end of the day, they got they got a, they definitely got a steal because he's one he was one of the top defensive players. I like I like them getting Wes Martin the guard and sure up their offensive line. Ross uh, Ross Piercebacher, um, they they definitely got some key players. I I like the the dynamic of this team. They got winners. They got uh, the addings with the offseason moves that they made in free agency and uh, tri- trickle down along with the draft the draft moves that they just made last week. I'm liking the dynamic of this Washington Redskins team because I keep telling yeah. people all the time. This Washington Redskins team is not as far off as it may it may look. Yes, they're just yes, they're a dysfunctional franchise as far as the front office and leadership standpoint. But I actually as, think they're really good defensively. But know? yeah, as far as yeah. as far as the play on the field, they yesterday they had one of the top defenses in the league yesterday before all the right. injuries. And you add these these young players to, to this arsenal, like Sweat, Sweat is gonna fall right into this defense. And and I I just love the dynamic of this team and, and what they're doing. And they're actually moving in the right direction. They, they, as long as they can get everything in the front office straight, they'll be fine. But as far as on the play, the, this team isn't as far as people think. And they may have just gotten their quarterback for the future. Right, right. And and, and I love what you said, that Sweat may be a day one starter. Yeah. I mean, this guy may just already fill in as a, a defensive back and already make an immediate impact. Again, yes, I'm not sure how he fell that far. I want to touch up on your Giants, you know. Um, the listeners know that you you run with Big Blue yeah. in New York. Um, I, I want to talk about the three picks that they got. I love the thirtieth pick with um, 
the 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 guy from Georgia, Baker. Baker. I yes. mean, I he played in the SEC. Yeah. He won. He won the uh, Thorpe, uh, the the Jim Thorpe Award as the best defensive back in the country. Although you know, there's a lot of candidates for that, so I, I love that pick. But I want to start off with the Odell Beckham trade pick. You go a- a- ahead and you get a two down guy. Right, you, you get you get a two down guy in Dexter Lawrence, and who knows if he's gonna be a, even a third down guy. So you traded Odell Beckham for a two down guy that's not even gonna be on the field on third downs because he's only a, a run stopper, and then you pass up on Dwayne Haskins at number six for Daniel Jones, who's definitely a day two guy, a, a day two or a round three guy for that. So they a lot of this has been surrounding on Dave Getterman. A lot of Giant fans don't trust and don't believe in Dave Getterman because, you know, he's gotten the keys in New York to make all of the football operation, you know, picks or, or decision making. So the the Giants franchise, what have they done here? Because I, I, I don't understand this this Daniel Jones pick. And I think that the Giants, you know, are in a dysfunctional franchise and they're just looking at maybe a three or four win season. I mean, I, the only thing I can tell you, Mike, is next year, you know, we're probably going to have four quarterbacks in the top 10. Next year, maybe one of the best draft classes for quarterbacks with Dex, um, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson, Tua. We all know about Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. And then you got guys uh, like Oregon Ducks quarterback Justin Herbert and Jake Fromm from Georgia. So maybe you're, that's something to look for in next year's draft. But it seems to me that you're just wasting a whole year of not only – of 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 you know early success for Saquon Barkley, but also wasting a year of development for all these young players. Your your thoughts on the on Big Blue? That you on Thursday when they drafted them, I had that same mentality. Um, um, they 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 were uh, they they messed up my birthday because I was so mad about the Daniel <laughs> Jones pick. I couldn't believe we passed up on Dwayne Haskins. I really thought he was the guy for us, but apparently he wasn't. I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you a couple of things about the, the Daniel Jones pick as 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 the time has gone on. Daniel Jones went to went to Duke. We know that Eli Manning had a play in this because Eli and Peyton Manning uh, run their quarterback camp yearly, every year at Duke. And they and Daniel Jones is somebody that that has been working with the Manning brothers, has been working with Eli for for some time now. So I'm sure Eli had a say in, oh, okay, this guy is special right here. If you pick him, he, he's one of the top. So I, so I feel like Eli Manning had a, a, a huge part in bringing Daniel Jones in. They saw maybe it's somebody, it's something inside that they saw something in this kid that we didn't get to see uh, uh, through uh, through the games and stuff like that. Maybe it's, some, it's a relationship that they had. I'm sure the Mannings had something to do with it. Also, my my old, my thought was if you're gonna pick Daniel Jones, pick him at number 17, but pick the best available player at number six. Right. That was right. my that was my whole thought. If you Josh Allen player, was on the board. Yeah, right. Josh, you had Josh Allen was on board, and we have other needs on the defensive side that we need to show up as well outside outside of a quarterback. So I, I thought that's the route we were going to go. But hearing exactly. hearing Dave and it hearing, it was just tough to see uh, for the Giants, and I, I'm asking myself, where do they go from here? You know, you, you trade Odell Beckham for the 17th pick for a two-down guy who may not even be on the field for third downs. You know, obviously he comes from – he's a winner. He comes from Clemson. But he may not even be on the field on third downs. And then you get Daniel Jones as the sixth pick and don't even draft the best available on the board. I mean, a lot of question marks for Pat Shermer and Dave Getterman in New York. And no that doubt. New York media, no. trust me, Mike, it's not something you want to be dealing with with unhappy fans. 
No doubt. You're absolutely right. And what I'm hearing about that Daniel Jones pick from Dave Gettleman was that the reason they took him at six was because they had they knew that it, um, there were two teams gonna that were gonna that were gonna get him at, at before before pick number seventeen. He was he was for sure that there were two teams that wanted to get him and he wasn't gonna be available at seventeen. So he went on and took him at number six. That's what I'm hearing from Dave Gettleman. Um, I'm sure one of those teams was the Washington Redskins. I don't know what the other team was, but I'm but that just lets me know right there that they were high on Daniel Jones. They wanted to get him all along, and and they weren't willing to risk waiting until 17 and get him at number six. But all I got to say about that is whatever y'all see in this brother, better be special. He better be special. He better be um one of the top quarterbacks uh, c- coming out. He oh, better, he better uh, be a Hall of Famer. He, he better, <laughs> in my opinion, he better be a Hall of Famer because he has the field coming behind Eli Manning. And I'm sure he will because of what I, the film that I've seen from him, he looks like a very solid quarterback. He looks like the type of quarterback that get, that get him in once in the organization. And, uh, and we'll see, but I, I w- I'm still shocked that they picked that they uh, didn't go with Dwayne Haskins, but you never know. It may it may turn out to be a uh, to be a blessing in disguise, and in the years to come, we may be talking about this and and looking back on it. And it may be a positive for Dave Gettleman. Well, and this is what I don't understand, Mike. You know, from one season, you know, Dwayne Haskins is a true freshman. From one season in Ohio State, 50 touchdowns to eight interceptions. Right. Uh, that's a ridiculous. Uh, ratio. I know it's in the collegiate level, but are you kidding me? 50 touchdowns into eight interceptions. You know, career forge uh, Daniel Jones, he had 52 touchdowns to 29 interceptions. So obviously that's a drastic uptick uh, on that. And then you look at completion percentage. Dwayne Haskins in Ohio State is a career 70.4% completion percentage. I know it's I know it's Ohio State, and look, I, I understand it's the collegiate game. It's not the the, the football game. Well, Daniel Jones is a fifty two percent completion person. So what what was it about Daniel Jones that the Giants liked that they didn't like for Dwayne Haskins? I'm 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 still baffled by this notion here. I, I I'm still baffled as well, and I'm still doing my homework on this Daniel Jones guy. Daniel Jones uh, guy myself. And one of the things I do like about him is um, his his decision making and his poise and uh, his accuracy. He's very he's a very accurate quarterback from from what I've from what I've been able to see from him. Now I haven't seen all of his games and I haven't seen the losses and I haven't seen the the lowlights as well. I've only seen the highlights. So, but but based off what I've seen, he's a pretty accurate quarterback. He makes pretty solid decisions. And coming up, like I said, coming up with that man with the Manning brothers year after year at the quarterback camp that they have at Duke University. I'm sure it's a lot of conversations that they've had or some insight inside that they've seen from from this guy that makes them say, "Oh, hey, hey, oh, Peyton, go up there, like, hey, we need to we need to get this brother. He's special. He 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 can he could be the next best thing." So I'm sure I'm sure connections and relationships and who you know played a lot to do with it. But um, all I can say is from what I've seen on film, he's a, he's a, he's a pretty sharp he's a pretty sharp player and, and he has a lot of uh, a lot of positive intangibles. I just was surprised. I thought Dwayne Haskins had plenty more, but only time will tell with this. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see if if if, if, if this if this pick makes sense over time. Yep, over time we're definitely gonna be seeing what's about Daniel Jones, and the jury's definitely still gonna be on him as well. And for all of the Sebi podcast action, all of the NFL draft remarks, all of the NBA insights. There's only one place to watch that. Myself, Michael Gray, the hardest and the most dangerous duo in the industry, right here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. 
And for myself and Mike, we want to say so long from now. Inside WNSC Radio. You've missed some of our recordings or some of our episodes? Have no fear. The Sebi Podcast experience is still here. You can check us out at our website at sebipodcast.info. Again, that is sebipodcast.info for any of our audio segments on Spotify and iTunes and some of our streaming visuals on our YouTube website and links there at sebipodcast.info. Some cool merch. If you want to DM us and send us all of your email requests, we'll be sure to get them here on the Sebi Podcast Experience. And remember, folks, whether you're listening on air or viewing online, Sebi Podcast is wherever you go. And that is the slogan.